Hello, everyone, and welcome to On to Wavelength, the Athletic Chicago Cubs podcast. I am Michael Beller. We are very excited to bring you a special episode of On to Waveland today. It is an NL Central roundtable. The Major League Baseball season just about three weeks away from beginning, so we thought it would be a great idea to bring in all of our writers from the NL Central to discuss what this division might look like in 2020. We've got, of course, Sahadev Sharma, the guy who you know and love on the Chicago Cubs, joined by his counterparts from around the division, Mark Saxon, who covers the St. Louis Cardinals, C. Trent Rosecrans on the Cincinnati Reds, Will Salmon on the Milwaukee Brewers, and Rob Beertemple, who covers the Pittsburgh Pirates for us. Uh, the guys got into the unique features of their team, what their teams might and might not be able to accomplish in 2020. We talked about some players that were excited to watch from all the different teams and the division, and of course, of course, we got some predictions on record for how this division will play out at the very end of the show. So without any further ado, let's get to it. The Athletics NL Central Roundtable here on Onto Waveland. Welcome into what I believe is a first for The Athletic, a roundtable discussion for a podcast where we have everyone on live together, the NL Central writers. And let's be honest, I've, had to, I've got to work with you guys quite a bit over this last year in NL Central. Round of applause. <laughs> you guys are always killing it. I am not surprised it is the NL Central that got this together for the first time. We are going to talk NL Central, level set what to expect for this division over this 60-game season. So we've got all of our beat writers here, not playing favorites, just going in order of last year's standings. Mark Saxon, St. Louis Cardinals, Will Salmon, Milwaukee Brewers, Sahadev Sharma from the Chicago Cubs, C. Trent Rosecrans, Cincinnati Reds, and Rob Beertemple, Pittsburgh Pirates. Let's get this going, guys. I'm going to have to start. At the top, the reigning champions, the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Mark, this is a team with probably the deepest pitching staff in the division, top to bottom, rotation and relievers. Uh, should we expect them to get creative with that depth, with the way this uh, season is taking shape? I think this season will force them to be creative. And by the way, Michael, your compliment, I feel like, was only in comparison to the rest of our writers. That The fact that we're impressive to you is just you know stunning to me, but... That, that's just a quick aside. Um, they're not going to go to a six-man rotation initially. I mean, I think other teams have sort of talked about doing that. They could do that. I mean, they have a bunch of guys like Daniel Ponce de Leon and Austin Gomber. They could easily do that. But it, it's kind of they, – they don't feel the need. I mean, some of these guys are going to be going three and four innings anyway, and Adam Wainwright isn't going to come out of the chute throwing 110 pitches. So – they're going to be piggybacking these guys. So if you consider that creative, then yes, that will happen. But I think for the Cardinals, you alluded to it. They feel like their calling card, their strength is they can throw a lot of pitching at you. They have a lot of good arms and that's what they're going to try and do and prevail because we also saw the offense wasn't particularly impressive last year, but that pitching got them pretty far. All right, let's go from the uh, reigning champs from last year to the champs perhaps of the offseason. That is you, Trent, in Cincinnati. Uh, a couple of huge moves for this offense. Bring in Mike Moustakis, taking away from the Brewers. Bring in Nick Castellanos, taking away from the Cubs. Of course, Shogo Akiyama as well. Adding that to Eugenio Suarez, Joey Votto, Jesse Winker, Nick Senzel. How strong is the argument that this is the best offense in the division? I mean, they still got to do it. You've had Joey Votto, who is coming off two years that are not Joey Votto years. You have Nick Senzel, who's unproven. Um, so, I, 
there's a reason they went big for offense this offseason. It's because their offense wasn't good enough last year. They had a really good rotation. Um, you know, they, they'd put their rotation up with about anybody, uh, especially adding Trevor Bauer, even though he wasn't great once they got to Cincinnati. Um, so I think they felt pretty good about that. And the question was, well, how do we score more runs? And they did it by throwing a lot of money around, which is something they've never done before, really. Um, so it's been, uh, it'll be interesting to see it. And if it does click, if you get Castellanos like he was with the Cubs, Mustakas at his best, um, even like he was last year, and Joey Votto somewhere around what you expect. Yeah, it's a pretty good offense, but I think there's still enough questions to um, to that, that you could make an argument for somebody else. Anyone want to jump in and make that argument on behalf of the team they cover? Rob! <laughs> what's it like to actually have a team that spends money trent that uh... I, i've never had to deal with that before i had to work this off season it was under it was unreal like i didn't i don't know how you guys used to do that Sahadev. not this year you got to experience been two our years. life um so yeah no it was really man like i met all those quotas i needed pretty easily um as far as how many uh how many stories I needed to write because they just kept coming. And uh, it was one after the other. And, and none of them were quick. They were all kind of – we we saw those in the, writing us on the wall. And it was uh, it was interesting. And um, Well, here yeah. in Pittsburgh, the, the stories kept coming over the winter, but it wasn't – it was, well, people <laughs> departing before people were arriving. And uh, – but it was, and it wasn't players for the moment. It was the entire front office uh, that was was turned over, and that would be, I think, for me, the most interesting thing to watch this year is is how does this new front office find out what it has, uh, you know, what's worth keeping, what's what's not worth keeping, and and in a year without development at the minor league level, you know, it's it's I don't envy Ben Sherrington at all trying to sort through you know the, the guys and even the guys in his front office around him you figure something there's going to be more turnover there but you know how do you know what to do with that what guys are good in what roles it's it's, it's almost like a very very slow motion kind of thing for the pirates since that last out you know at, at the end of the 20 or 2019 season side of you something I, yeah i wouldn't make the argument that the cubs could have will have the best offense in the division just because I've been waiting for this offense to click for years and be consistent. Ever since 2016, they have such a young group and it's still together. It's still there. It just hasn't lived up to the potential. So I, I've pulled back in the last year of, of predicting that they everything will click. But I will say that you look around that diamond, you look around everywhere, and there's plenty of talent to have a really formidable offense. And, and I'll even point to a guy like Ian Happ, who nobody is going to predict to have a great season, but he looked really good down the stretch. He made real changes at AAA last year, and they stuck, and they and he was a different player at the end of the year when he came up, and it, it he looked different in the spring in February and March to the point that I had multiple front office people saying, I'm buying this. I mean, I, I trust that he's a, he's a real, there's a real change here and he could be a really productive offensive player. 
you, you add that in with a guy like Kyle Schwarber, who everyone talks about Nick Castellanos. Look at Schwarber's final two months. Just as good as Castellanos. He was a monster, and he's been waiting to be that guy for years. I think it's more about confidence with him than anything, and he has that back now. Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Wilson Contreras. Second base is kind of a hole, but I, I just, I mean, there's a ton of talent there. If you could, if you want to make the argument that the if that, that there's a team that could be better than the Reds offensively in this division, I I could see it being the Cubs. I just I I need to see it happen. I need to see it all come together before I truly believe that the Cubs offense is finally that formidable force we've been waiting for since since they won it all in 2016. The good news is they finally have Kyle Schwarber's position. In the <laughs> That's true. That is true. And we will get to DH in a second, but I do want to uh, bring the Brewers into this. They've got the best individual offensive player. I think we could all agree on that in Christian Yelich. But, Will, the guy who I want to talk about is probably the most exciting youngster in the division, Keston Hira, just a phenomenal rookie season last year. 303, 368, 570, 19 homers, 23 doubles in 348 plate appearances. He did it really all for this team. There's a lot of swing and miss in this game, but the talent, obviously, those numbers speak to it. Uh, what's the team expecting from him in year two? You know, it's funny because we're talking about so much turnover with teams, and the Brewers are no different in that regard. And the question with them really is, how much better did they actually get with all that turnover? And I'm on the fence with that. And sometimes I say to myself, well, I can make the argument for them. Um, but the other part of me is like, no, I mean, like they, they got they, they failed to resign two of their more prominent stars and they leave Yelich with a bunch of guys who are not used to doing it on a consistent basis or are, or are either coming off an injury riddled season or just have to prove themselves again, just like these rebound candidate types. So I feel like it's great that you mentioned a guy like Kesson here because so much really hinges on him and it, and it really hinges on him. Lorenzo Cain and Aviasel Garcia um, as far as the production that they need to get from those guys along with what you're probably know that you're most likely going to get from Christian Yelich. So all that to say, I feel like Kesson Hira of that trio is probably the safest guy when you look at it, even though he's only played that one season in the majors. I mean, his profile going back from his days at UC Irvine just really speaks to that. He's been a really, really good hitter for a long time um, and it didn't take long for him to ascend through the minor leagues and prove that and then last year wasn't a fluke in that sense so yeah there there are things in, in his profile like the swing and miss stuff but the other part of that argument is that he's going after certain pitches that he thinks he can hit that he thinks he can get to and, and he's proven that he can more often than not so there's a lot to like about him and also with the DH like Ryan Braun will take a bulk of that for the Brewers but Keston Hira can slide over there to, and play DH because he was, let's face it, not very good defensively at second base, right? Um, and as much as Craig Council will, will say that he's worked on it, and he, and he has, sure, um, and he's probably improved on it, it will behoove them to put him at DH sometimes just to give other guys that shot at second base, whether it's somebody like Luis Urias, who they acquired from the Padres, or Brock Holt, who they signed, who would be an upgrade defensively while keeping Keston Hira's bat in the lineup. Yeah, I want to talk some more DH here. I want to hear from all of you on this, but uh, by my estimation, just looking up and down the rosters, the teams that I felt gained the most from the DH are the Cardinals and the Reds, two teams that had a logjam potentially in the outfield. Certainly the Cardinals did, and 
too many players and not enough defensive spots for guys who would seem to warrant regular ABs. So uh, uh, Mark and Trent want to hear from you guys uh, specifically on the DH. How do your teams plan to use that spot? We'll go to Mark first here. I actually think that this whole DH question is a little bit overrated because if you look at um, obviously American League teams have a bit of an edge because they've built rosters that have those guys. National League teams don't. You look at the bench guys that they have the versatility rather than that big masher. But the difference incrementally between all these teams, we can guess who will have an advantage. And and the Reds obviously just have a lot of hitters, so you would think they might be one of those teams. The Cardinals are going to be able to accommodate it fine, but you know, is it going to be an impact guy that they have in that position? And that, to me, is more interesting. Yeah, of course they could rotate it through, and I think Matt Carpenter is going to get a ton of DH at-bats because he's, he's, he's traditionally been a very good hitter. He wasn't last year. He's not traditionally been either a good base runner or a good fielder. So they're fine. They're probably better off putting Tommy Edmund at third and using Carpenter a lot at DH. A guy like Rangel Ravello, who many of you may not know a lot about, guy they got out of Cuba who can really hit, he'll probably do, do some DH, DHing against lefties. Um, they'll cycle guys through, as you mentioned, that extra outfielder. If, if Tyler O'Neill is the odd man out, he's a, a guy with a lot of power. They could throw him in there. Lane Thomas is a guy they like. So, yeah, they're going to be able to accommodate it. Fine. The difference to me is, do you have that really elite guy who can do it? The, the, the DH is an opportunity, right, to inject real impact into your lineup. Mm-hmm. And I don't really see any National League team as having that guy. There's no Nelson Cruz out there because it doesn't fit on a National League roster. So, for me, it's more of a deficiency that you're trying to mask than an opportunity. You know, Dick Williams said last week he built this team to have a DH. He expected the DH to be here probably not in 2020, but at least by 2022. Moustakis move, uh, the Nick Castellanos, those are both four-year deals, although Castellanos has some opt-outs. I don't see anybody taking any opt-outs after this year um, <laughs> or or the next. Um, but, you know, that was something they built in. And I, I think what it does is it adds that depth and it kind of helps them avoid injuries if they have an injury nick senzel is is your center fielder but you also have shogo akiyama who can play center field and he nick senzel if the second baseman or third baseman or first baseman gets hurt you can move those parts because nick senzel plays second and third mike mistakis can play third second first you have all these moving parts um, because honestly i think one of the biggest things this year is going to be injuries slash infection and who actually has 60 has the roster to withstand any kind of significant injury. And what the reds have is a flexible roster um, that will allow them with what Nixon Zell can do. And also Mike Mustakas that they can maybe withstand some of those kinds of injuries or someone getting sick, God forbid, or opting out. Sahad, if you've actually got a piece of hard news that we have to talk about here just happening today as we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, Jose Quintana uh, suffering an injury to his throwing thumb, uh, required five stitches to repair, and there was some nerve damage in the thumb, so he shut down for at least two weeks. Uh, Where do the Cubs go from here with Quintana likely to start the season injured? 
Yeah, we'll we'll find out exactly how bad this injury is in about two weeks. They'll reassess the situation and see how long he's out for, if it's a significant period of time or if they're just going to ramp him back up. I think it's unlikely he starts the season in the rotation. Right now, the, the leader to, to fill that spot is Alec Mills. Mills is a soft-tossing guy. A lot of people compare him to uh, Kyle Hendricks. He's got a really strong changeup. He's working on his two-seamer to get a little more movement. He was working on that during the spring. I'm not sure how it's progressed over the past few months. His, I think he has about 60 innings in the big leagues, and they're really impressive results. The strikeout rate is so much higher than what it has ever been for him in the minor leagues. This isn't a guy that throws in the mid-90s. He barely hits 90-91. Uh, he's mostly about command and, and eliciting weak contact, but for some reason in the big leagues, he's managed to get a lot of swing and miss. If that's something that, that can last for, especially for a 60-game season, if he impresses, the Cubs have always liked his demeanor. They like the way he handles himself when he gets up to the big leagues and gets opportunities. He thrives. He's, he's managed to thrive in, his, in a small sample. So I, I think they're they're looking at this as an opportunity for him to kind of step up. There's other options, of course. Colin Ray led the PCL last year, which is a complete you know offensive madness in AAA last year. He led the the PCL in ERA. Uh, they have uh, they have other guys like Edward Alzali, who's one of their best pitching prospects, but just constantly is injured. And whenever he comes up to the big leagues, it seems like his command just disappears. He needs to prove it. And Jarrell Cotton is a guy who has a nasty changeup, but I don't expect him to be a starter just because the, the changeup is really his only pitch. You start uh, turning lineups over and you see that pitch over and over again. You know to lay off that and, and start hammering a fastball that he can't really command, a curveball that he's still working on. I don't think he's going to be the guy that gets that rotation spot. I think it's Mills. But this this hurts in the sense that, yeah, Quintana's coming off his worst year. Uh, he's But he's a guy that you can rely upon to get five, six innings. And I didn't expect him to be as bad as last year results-wise. I thought his command had finally come back. He was really working on that changeup and trying to figure out a way to get another pitch in his arsenal to make him more effective. Uh, Tommy Hadovy had spent a lot of time with him, and every single time it seemed like the past couple of years that he took a step forward, something went wrong that just he couldn't really complete it he'd, he'd run off like a stretch of five or six starts and it's like there it is there's the Quintana that the Cubs traded such a, you know a ton of prospects for and then it would just sink right back the command would disappear the fastball would dip down again to lower 90s and and then he just like once that fastball is is down to 91 the, the margin for error is gone with him he just doesn't have enough stuff to get away with it and I, you know, he's the type of guy that will put in the work to get better. So hopefully he gets healthy and we can see where the changeup is uh, by midseason, whatever, you know, a couple weeks into the season. But uh, yeah, this hurts in the sense that this is a team that is screaming for pitching depth. They don't have a lot of pitching depth in the upper minors. It could open up some opportunities for the South Bend Satellite team to add some of those upper minors pitchers, see where their development is at. But, uh, I mean, we're talking about a team that revamped their amateur scouting and player development over the winter because they haven't developed a pitcher in years. This entire Theo Epstein regime, that's what we're talking about, the, that they haven't developed pitching. So now to have an injury to the rotation, uh, it just puts more and more stress on that pitching depth. And I, I think they can make it through it because Quintana wasn't their anchor. Uh, a bigger deal is Darvish 
continuing what he did last year, Hendricks and Darvish being the top two and really being a strong top two and Lester not being completely collapsing, but it hurts. It hurts a guy that would give you in a normal 162 game season, 180 innings pretty reliably. That doesn't happen anymore. So Hadev, would you say there's a uh, lesson here and that is never do dishes? <laughs> always yeah that's that's a good point we, we need to find a way to always get out of doing the dishes I'll, I'll i'll try and translate that into my own personal life as well maybe it's don't hang out with tom brady kind <laughs> <laughs> of shows up on instagram with tom brady and two days later he cuts his finger Ooh, rough <laughs> um all right guys 60 games we know anything can happen in a, a short window like that in a game like baseball uh, but the Pirates were not expected to be the t- a team contending for a playoff spot, really the only team coming into this year in this division that wasn't expected to be contending for a playoff spot. So, uh, Rob, uh, you know, with 10 games against every division team, uh, the way that they perform against the Pirates could determine who wins the division, who goes to the playoffs. How could the Pirates end up being a fly-in-the-ointment team to one of these other four teams that we do expect to be contending for a postseason spot? We are the kingmakers baby (laughs) it's what it comes down to yeah for the pirates so many things that they have to look i mean when ben Sheridan takes over as gm he insists right out of the shoot and continues to uh doubles and triples down on it this is not a rebuilding process he's not rebuilding anything uh he's 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 shoring up he's and, and it's some of the same kind of terminology we heard from neil huntington uh, in, in previous years, and which is one of the things that led to Neil being fired. Um, they they have decent talent in the minors, but most of it is in the lower levels. They have some decent players on the big league roster, but no real impact guys. No guys that make you say, damn, he's going to beat us today. That could be Josh Bell, but he needs to do it for more than you know two or three weeks at a stretch. Although in a 60-game season, that might be enough. Um, but they, they just have guys who are like almost quite there. For, for them, what they, they really need to do first and foremost is, is and we touched on this in other areas, to stay freaking healthy. Um, this is a club that doesn't have a lot of depth once you get past that big league level. There's not going to be reaching down to the satellite system because a lot of the guys they have there, they're there purely for player development purposes. So the only way they can make an impact in, in that level is to keep everybody healthy at the big league level. And, 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 and you hope that you don't see regression from guys like Kevin Newman and Brian Reynolds, who both were revelations last year. I don't think when they got Brian as part of the bond steal, I don't think I had a couple people in the front office tell me we really didn't know what we were going to get and we didn't expect him to be this good. You know, the guys, you know, hitting, you know, 320 for the pretty much the entire season playing really good in, in left field they even threw him in center field a few times and he hung his held his own there newman not gonna win a gold glove ever at shortstop he kind of reminds me of a lot of the Pirates' shortstop recently where he just doesn't screw up he gets to the balls that he's supposed to get to but the fact is i mean he's a, he and newman i mean he and reynolds both are just babbit machines they, they when they make contact they find a way to get on base they just really need a lot more guys. You know, this is a team where the DH, you know, they have guys who will play DH, but for all the wrong reasons. 
you know, they'll put Greg Polanco at DH because his shoulder really isn't the same as it as it was, and it's never probably going to be that way again. Uh, I had, you know, a lot of scouts tell me in spring training before we shut it down that it just he could tell he was tentative out there, that he's not making the throws, that he approaches balls differently. So they'll put Greg at DH at times to rest that shoulder to you know to boost him a little bit. They'll put Colin Moran at DH because he's terrible with the glove. They'll put Josh Bell at DH to. Because he never wants to come out of the lineup, and he, he wore down, I think, toward the end of the last year. And he's also not great with the glove. So, not a lot of impact players. Not you know They have guys that do things in little spurts here and there. And that's the biggest question is when your team comes to town to play the Pirates, which version of them are you going to get? The team that's clicking and playing really well or that team that is just looking toward 21? All right, Will, we uh, started this talking uh, with Mark about the Cardinals' top-to-bottom pitching depth. The Brewers don't have near the rotation that the Cardinals guy. No Jack Flaherty in Milwaukee's rotation, although Brandon Woodruff had himself a breakout 2019 season. But they certainly have that great bullpen still. They've ridden it to uh, a better-than-expected finish in 2017 and then back-to-back postseason appearances. How do Craig Council and the pitching coach Chris Hook weaponize this bullpen in a short season? So an interesting staff because you mentioned Brandon Woodruff and you know, I think Brandon Woodruff is pretty good. He's on that cusp of you know is he going to be better than what he is or is you know how much better could he become? I think there's a lot of room to grow there if you look at his strikeout to walk ratios and numbers like that. So I think at best maybe you could qualify him as you know a, a number one on most teams or at least some teams, obviously the Brewers included. After that, they don't have the quality, but the as some other teams do, but the depth is there, at least comparatively speaking to what Brewers fans are accustomed to seeing, at least. Um, it's probably their deepest pitching staff in, in quite some time, particularly with their rotation, um, because they have Eric Lauer, who they acquired from the Padres in that trade with Urias, um, and he profiles as their number five guy, but behind him there's also Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns, who were looking r- really sharp earlier in the year during spring training. And so those guys could be interesting bullpen pieces as well. Like we were talking about earlier about the idea of piggybacking. The Brewers are in a good position to do just that because they have guys like a Josh Limbloom from, uh, who played in Korea the past couple of seasons, plus Brett Anderson. We all know his, his health issues year to year. Um, so if you can get just maybe three or four innings out of those guys, even after a couple of weeks, you do have other, other people like Peralta and Burns that you could plug in. But what is most intriguing about the Brewers as far as their bullpen goes is, is Josh Hader, of course, because that's a weapon that really nobody else quite has. And so if you look at the way that they've utilized him in the past, he's not foreign to being asked of, okay, I, we need you for more than one inning. Get this done. He's done that quite a few times, last year included, and his numbers are really good when he's asked to do that particular job. And what's going to help the Brewers a lot too is the health of Corey Knable who was expected to miss about half the year after uh, Tommy John surgery. Now he's at least profiling to pitch and or be able to pitch in 100% of their games. I mean, he's supposed to be ready. And so you could be a little bit more liberal with your usage of Josh Hader because you have that other weapon that you could use in a late high leverage situation. Knable, who's proven himself to be a guy who could do that for you. So it's, it's a good duo to have, especially when you can mix in the other guys who may not start games for you, but the, but you can count on them to sort of bridge that gap and pitch you to three or four innings to kind of get to them if you need them. 
All right, guys, let's go uh, lightning round here. I've got uh, a set of questions that I just want to ask each of you. Uh, we'll start with you here, Mark. Uh, the one player on your team you're most excited to watch this season. You know, Dylan Carlson's the guys everyone's talking about. Um, their number one prospect, a switch hitter, can play center field. or probably end up in a corner eventually. Um, baseball IQ that's supposedly just off the charts. I'm really intrigued to see him. I, I see him as a very high floor prospect. I don't necessarily see him as the next Juan Soto or uh, Ronald Acuna, but a really high-end prospect. And that's kind of the guy Cardinals fans are very, very curious about, and I am as well. All right, Trent, who is it on the Reds? There's a lot of guys, but it has to be, for me, and this is probably me alone, uh, Shogo Akiyama, just because we haven't seen him. Um, I've seen Nick Castellanos. I've seen Mike Moustakis. Um, I could watch Luis Castillo's uh, change up on, on repeat. Uh, but Akiyama is a guy that we just haven't seen. And so I'm curious to see him. So out of who you got? I mean, there's a few guys on offense that I mentioned, like Hap and, and Schwarber, that I want to see if they can carry it over to 2020. But for me, it, it's it has to be you, Darvish. What he did in the second half was what uh, Cubs fans have been waiting for since he was signed. It Really, it was his best stretch in the big leagues, stateside here. He's It was as impressive as pitching as I've seen. If he can replicate that, even come close, that's Cy Young potential type pitching. He's working on different pitches during it, during this uh, shutdown, which he already had a, a full arsenal that could barely be fully used in a in a game. He's he's nasty and ridiculous, and I want to see if he can carry it over. Rob, who you got in Pittsburgh? Cabrian Hayes, uh, third baseman, still hasn't played a game in the majors. One of their their number two rated prospect. And yesterday we talked to Del Derek Shelton, the manager, and he said that in his mind, third base is not even a competition. It's going to be Colin Moran as the everyday guy. And you could hear people around Pittsburgh throwing their hands in the air and screaming uh, at that point because they, you know, they've been waiting for Cabrian to get here for a couple of years. He, he Last year, he was disappointed not to get the September call-up. And I, I think it's because Huntington's administration, they just didn't see the offense there consistently. I mean, the kid can play defense, three straight minor league gold gloves. Um, but he, you know, the, the big question is still, can he hit – enough to to warrant everyday playing time at a corner position in the big leagues and you know we'll see if that becomes a reality this year I'm, you know he's in big league camp and he has a shot to make this team in some form especially with a 30-man roster at the, at the giddy up uh, i think having him play now would be the right thing to do just because you know you've seen what colin moran can do and, it, and it's it doesn't help you it doesn't make you better and you've seen other options at third base and none of them has is, is, is been able to grab that position. You know, it's it's time at this point. Hayes has been at AAA for a couple of years. He did hit well toward the end of the last season. I think now is really the time when they give him that opportunity. And, you know, there, there was also in spring training, they were trying, talking with him about a longer-term deal. And I think playing time, a spot on the big league roster, could be used as an enticement. I mean, he resisted their first overture. But maybe now that it's that it's that it's getting real, as at least as real as it can be in the middle of a pandemic, uh, maybe that will change. Hey, I uh, talked to our uh, colleague Mark Cabali, who covers the Steelers, a couple of weeks ago for a Dunder show I host, and he says that Ben Roethlisberger's elbow's healthy. So with, uh, if if <laughs> Brian Hayes can't get up, at least uh, Pittsburgh fans have that to look forward to. Will, who are you got in uh, Milwaukee? Yeah, the easy answer is Yelich, and. Um... 
I've already spoken about Keston, so I'm not going to talk about either one of those guys. For me, it's uh, it's Avi Garcia, actually. The Brewers signed a bunch of one-year deal guys to one-year deals. Uh, Garcia was the only position player that they signed to a multi-year deal, and there's there's a reason for that, obviously. They, they think he's going to be worth it. Um, he's a guy who potential has always been part of his story ever since he's ever since he came up with the Tigers, and he's never quite reached the heights that people have said that he would. Uh, he's gotten close a couple of times, uh, particularly even with the Rays. He showed some good things, but the Brewers look at him and they see a five-tool guy, a guy who could do a whole lot. They're going to play him in right field and actually move Yelich to left because of how good they think he is defensively. He also can steal some bases. He's a good runner. Um, and he's just a massive human being. I mean, I, I look at the guy, he looks like a, a, a linebacker, like in the playing middle linebacker in the NFL. Um, so he's, he's a big dude. And, you know, I just watching him uh, in batting practice in the spring, like I was like, whoa, this, this guy's something else. So it'd be fun to see him actually play. Uh, that, that'd be fun to do. And I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I think that if, he, if he's what the Brewers think he can be, that's a huge lift for their lineup in an, an otherwise lineup that has some question marks as to how much they could actually uh, support Christian Yelich. All right, guys. And last thing, I can't possibly let you go without getting some predictions down. Not down on paper. You already guys already did that. Check out the, these guys also got together for a written roundtable on The Athletics. So check that out. But let's get some uh, audio predictions here we started this going in order of finish from last year i'm gonna go reverse order of finish <laughs> to even it out so rob you first uh who wins the division and does anyone else make the playoffs i'm gonna i'm gonna say yeah i'm gonna say the uh, the reds win the division um i'm putting all the pressure on trent to, to get her down out there in cincinnati and i'm saying nobody else from the division let the cardinals come close nobody else in the central makes the uh the postseason all right, Trent, follow it up. We got one in favor of the Reds. Anyone? You, who's your division winner? Who makes the playoffs? I think in our roundtable I said uh, everybody with the Pirates wins 33, uh, just for fun. Um, I'm going to go the Cardinals, and um, they have that devil magic, and I never bet against Cardinal devil magic. And, uh, and then maybe the Reds? No, no maybes. No maybes. <laughs> maybe the Cubs? I don't know. Um, it's possible. We'll see. I'll, I'll go for that. I'll be the homer. Right. I guess they make the wild card. That's not really too big of a homer. There we go. There I'm we not Sahadev. I like it. Sahadev? <laughs> who, who you got? I, I went... I went insanely aggressive in the, in our written predictions with 35 wins for the Cubs. And then I looked back. Last year, the Cubs started 2-7, and seven, and after 60 games, they won 34 games. And that was a team that missed the playoffs and just wasn't very good overall. I watched that whole season. And they were an average team, but they still they still went 34-26. and 26. I don't think they're going to go win 35 games now that I actually put a little more thought into that. I do think they'll get off to a hot start. I'm picking the Cardinals to win the division. I think the Cubs have a chance to fight for a playoff spot. I think in the end they they fall out and we have one playoff team. I, I just like that Cardinals pitching too much. Man, a lot of pessimism for a division that should be competitive. Uh, Will, who you got? Give me one more. Give me more than one team making the playoffs from this division. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to turn this around a little bit. I, I do have the Reds winning the division. Um, I have I have pretty much every team but the Pirates going, making this really fun and interesting. Sorry, uh, yeah, but I do have it. Rob, we're, we're I have to. everybody going in, into that di- into that direction. Um, 
but I feel like the Brewers have a good chance to squeeze out that spot. I really do. Um, I like Fred Council's experience in maximizing his roster, particularly if you give him a few extra spots like they're doing early on. You have a superstar in Christian Yelich and a lot of depth and versatility that I, I do think prevents the long losing skid. That's a must. And also prevents you from accumulating a couple of those smaller losing streaks as well. All right, Mark, last word. What do you got in St. Louis? So can I address a quick thing on Trent's? I feel my theory on this notion of Cardinals devil magic is basically everyone who's not a Cardinals fan can't stand the team, and I, I get it. <laughs> uh, and so they don't want to acknowledge that they have good coaches in the minor leagues. These guys are, you know, coached well, and they have good a good development system. So I think when it happens repeatedly, it's not so much magic as just an impressive kind of run but i i feel like the central arguably as the best hitter in the league has maybe the best young pitcher in the league and flaherty i think it's going to be really they're going to go at it um i i don't think any of us have any clue how it's going to finish in 60 games i mean it could be crazy i wouldn't be shocked in the slightest if the if the if the if the if pittsburgh wins this division Yes, you would. <laughs> you were you were actually making sense there for a while, Mark. <laughs> Two months. You're telling me you can't get hot. I know that you know the Mariners. After a month, where were they last year? That was one a historic, yeah, yeah. terrible team. So I'm just saying it, it's going to be crazy. And, and my biggest thing is, I just hope we they play. I hope they play mm-hmm. games. I think it's still in doubt very much. Um, if you force me, I would pick the Cardinals and I think the Reds are going to grab a wild card spot. And I think they're going to play some great games and really go at it. Those two teams, particularly. All right. We got three votes for the Cardinals win and two for the Reds. And what we know for sure going to be a very fun division. It looks like it should be the most competitive division on paper. And we could have multiple playoff teams for sure coming from the NL Central. Guys, this was great. See Trent Rosecrans, Rob Beer Temple, Sahadev Sharma, Will Salmon, Mark Saxon, the NL Central. Thanks so much, guys. Had a lot of fun. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of On to Waveland. We hope you guys had fun listening. We definitely had fun talking NL Central. Hope all you Cubs fans learned a little bit about the four other teams who the Cubs are going to be competing against in the division this season. Uh, If you are out there on iTunes, Spotify, anything like that, please do give us a rate, review, subscribe. We really would appreciate it. And if you are out there on any of those services and are thinking about getting a subscription to The Athletic, guess what? Got some good news for you. You can get a free 30-day trial if you go to theathletic.com slash onto Waveland. For Sahadev Sharma and the rest of our NL Central writers, I am Michael Beller. Thanks for listening. We hope you all have a great holiday weekend. Be safe, and we'll be back with you next week.